episode 89, Desk Set. I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the September 9th, 2009 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. The Mary Tyler Moore Show was one of the most successful programs in television history. It had millions of viewers and won a record-breaking number of Emmy Awards. Nearly 40 years later, it's still being called one of the best shows ever to air on TV. The Kansas Historical Society owns the desk used by the character Lou Grant, Mary's gruff but lovable boss. How did a prop from a show filmed in Hollywood about a TV station in Minneapolis end up in Topeka? Museum director Bob Keckeisen gives you the scoop in today's interview. And later, we'll connect William Allen White to Labor Day. This holiday has been celebrated on the first Monday of September since the 1880s. Was Labor Day originally designed for family picnics and camping trips, or does it have a deeper meaning? And what does it have to do with the Sage of Emporia? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, Dusk Set. Bob Kekeisen and I are talking about a desk that was a prop on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. The desk was used by character Lou Grant, who was Mary's boss on the show. Bob, what does this desk look like? Well, uh, not much, actually. <laughs> uh, if you watched the Mary Tyler Moore Show, or, or if you currently watch it, because it's available on DVD, and I don't know if we're supposed to plug other websites for ours, <laughs> but you can also watch uh, episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore Show on Hulu.com. Well, if you've seen those, you know the desk is nothing special in terms of our appearance, our, our appearance, its appearance. If you look on our website, we've got a picture on the Cool Things page, and you know it actually looks better on the in the photograph and it does in person uh, it's pretty beat up it's just your standard 1960s 1970s metal office desk that was probably selected by the show's props department because of its stereotypical look is just a cheap office desk i mean lou grant wasn't the guy that's going to put on airs i mean he was a working you know newscaster journalist um you know just kind of an everyday guy so he's not going to sit at a fancy desk in a fancy office his uh, on the show his office was right off the newsroom and it was pretty utilitarian and so the desk fits perfectly with that it's just the kind of old metal desk with drawers that he probably kept a bottle of scotch in one of them, I would assume. So it's not like yeah. Mad Men, the set of Mad Men. No, no. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, not Draper's office, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> so before we get too far into the interview, um, it might be a good idea to give our listeners some background on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Who were its characters and what was the show about? Okay, sure, yeah. It's been a while since it's been on, and as I said, it's available on DVD and, and you can watch episodes online. But uh, it premiered in 1970, so you know we're, we're going on to 30 years now pretty soon that it... The, from when it premiered, but but it really was unique for its time. Um, as I mentioned, it premiered in 1970, and it featured the first never-married independent career woman as a central character on a TV show. Now, before that time, you had unwomen, unwomen, unmarried women, <laughs> unwomen, right? You had unmarried women characters on sitcoms, but they were much more likely to be the kind of spinster type, like uh, Miss Hathaway that Nancy Culp played on the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, the kind of old bitty secretary. Mm -hmm. uh, or you might be that sort of 
man-starved, anything-to-get-a-husband type that, like, like Sally Rogers that uh, was played by Rosemary on the Dick Van Dyke show. But uh, Mary Tyler Moore, her character, Mary Richards, was a young career woman whose main interest was her career, was, was getting ahead. It was not snagging a man. Now, sure, there were, there were love interests for Mary throughout the series. You know, they'd set her up on dates, or there were obviously sort of times where there was miscommunication, and, you know, she ends up going out with a married guy that she thought was single, that type of thing. So hilarity ensues. But basically, um, the, it, was a, it was a situation comedy in, in the purest uh, sense of the form uh, about her work, her work colleagues, and these kind of quirky neighbors she had. She played the main character. Mary Tyler Moore played Mary Richards, who was a single woman who moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, after breaking off an engagement with her boyfriend. So, you know, they had to have, you know, couldn't have a completely single yeah. woman there. She just <laughs> broke off with her boyfriend and moved to Minneapolis. And that was kind of interesting, too. Well, here was a sitcom not set in New York, not set in Los Angeles, is, you know, right, well, I wouldn't say right in the center of the country, because yeah. we're the center of the country here in Kansas, but, so it's in Minneapolis, and um, she breaks up with her boyfriend, and the very first episode, she comes to Minneapolis and applies for a secretarial job at the TV station WJM, but finds out that the um, job has been filled, and she's just offered the position of associate producer <laughs> for the six o'clock news. I think not knowing, you know, that the six o'clock news was, you know, not the highest rated one. They they just needed somebody to come in and fill this job. Um, and interestingly, the the show's producers originally uh, planned for her to be divorced. That's the reason she comes to Minneapolis. But CBS, the network on which it aired was afraid that viewers were going to confuse Mary with the character that she had played on the Dick Van Dyke show, Laura Petrie. And even though she had a different name on the Dick Van Dyke show, when, where she was known as Laura, they were afraid that viewers might think she divorced Rob Petrie. <laughs> That's how, how strongly people identify with TV characters. Um, so the premise was changed that, you know, broken engagement and she comes to Minneapolis. No, you were asking about the character, so I'm prattling on about that here. Um, you know, our connection is through this desk, and um, the desk belonged to the character Lou Grant, and he was played by Ed Asner. And Lou was Mary's kind of tough, no-nonsense boss, really a softie at heart, you know, kind of that classic, you know, gruff exterior. You know, uh, at the end of the day, he's kind of the understanding friend. And one of the more interesting things about the character Lou Grant and I think it's a testimony to Asner's acting skills, is that the character, Lou Grant, was spun off into a dramatic series, which hardly ever happens. I mean, here's a comedy character on a comedy show, and they spun it off into a series, and he became Lou Grant in the series appropriately titled Lou Grant. <laughs> and it's one of the very few times in TV history the comedy character got spun off into a what turned out to be an Emmy Award-winning dramatic series. He became a um, newspaper editor at a Los Angeles paper, and it became one of the top-rated dramas uh, after uh, he left Mary Tyler Moore. So, The other person probably people remember best from the Mary Tyler Moore show was the uh, character Ted Baxter, who was brilliantly played by uh, Ted Knight. And Ted Baxter was kind of the quintessential good-looking pretty boy anchor who's just dumb as a bag of hammers. I mean, uh, he's vain, he's pompous, he's kind of a buffoon, he never knows what's going on. He Malapropisms uh, are out of his mouth all the time. He's mispronouncing things, particularly <laughs> if he has to do something with a foreign um, 
take to it. He screws it up. Um, but he's got this massive ego. He thinks he's the Walter Cronkite, who we just talked about a couple weeks ago on the last podcast. Uh, he thinks he's the Walter Cronkite uh, of his era, and he's he's just kind of this uh, this fool. But uh, a lot of people really identify with him because he was just this just kind of larger-than-life uh, crazy guy. Um, it's interesting that the... the um, the character, you know, here in the 1970s, it was interesting that the show's producers, I think, were kind of taking a dig at what then was becoming pretty noticeable, that, you know, you weren't hiring journalists for the news. They were just hiring people on their style and yeah. their looks. And, you know, they just read whatever was put in front of them. And I think it's interesting on his character and, again, how the show took shots at the media and in the final season. And I guess if you haven't seen the show, I should scream spoiler uh, spoiler alert here. Um, but in the final episode, new owners take over the station and everybody gets fired except Ted. <laughs> you know, they, they keep the one guy you know who couldn't find his hands in his pockets. They keep him on and fire everybody else. So, uh, But there were a lot of different uh, great characters on it. Uh, Rhoda Morgenstern was played by Valerie Harper, was Mary's best friend and neighbor. Uh, Phyllis uh, was played by Cloris Leachman and she was uh, Mary's landlady who was kind of a busybody popping in all the time. So uh, a lot of great characters on it. The show ran for seven seasons and was just wildly popular. It's still rated by uh, some TV reviewers as one of the top sitcoms of all time. Great. So, um, so as you said, uh, Mary's boss on the show, Lou Grant, mm -hmm. was played by actor Ed Asner. Uh, does Asner have a connection to Kansas by any chance? You bet he does. <laughs> uh, Asner was born in 1929 in Kansas City. And his parents ran a second-hand store in Kansas City. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Uh, actually seeing it referred to in some references as his parents ran a junk shop. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good, too. But hey, you know, that's, that's great. Uh, he attended Wyandotte High School, where he acted in school productions. He edited the school newspaper and became an all-city tackle on the football team. Um, we featured Asner in an exhibit here at the Kansas Museum of History on Famous Kansans one time. Uh, and we got a great picture of him in his football uh, uniform from Wyandotte High School. He once said about his childhood that Kansas was a gentle place to grow up. So it's kind of a nice, nice turn of phrase. Well, he went on uh, to the University of Chicago, did some acting there. He acted in Chicago, acted in New York, uh, got his start in Broadway there, and then moved out to Hollywood in the early 1960s and pretty soon made a name for himself in both film and television. A lot of great character parts. He eventually would wind up winning seven Emmy Awards, five Golden Globes, and he's recently had a resurgence with his portrayal of the uh, grumpy Carl Fredrickson in the in the Pixar animated film Up. So he's kind of everywhere right now because people who might not have known Ed Asner, maybe younger folks that hadn't really seen Ed Asner before, all say, "Oh, the guy in Up." Yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. So yeah, he's he's a Kansan from from one. Yeah, you know, I just saw him in a. On stage for the Great Tennessee Monkey Trial. Oh yeah, yeah, and, over in Lawrence. Yeah, at the Leeds Center, and where he played what is that? Yeah, William Sterling. William Sterling. Yeah, he played William James. Yeah, Bryant. it was mm -hmm. great. Yeah, great show. Yeah, but he, I'd never seen him, so that yeah, was kind of cool. Great actor. Um, so now we're getting closer to answering the question that everybody wants to know. Oh, yes. Why did this desk end up in our collection? Yeah. What? What's a What's a desk? from Hollywood about a show in Minneapolis yeah. <laughs> doing, doing in Topeka, right. Well, as I mentioned, the, the show ran for seven seasons from 1970 to 77. And when it finished its run, Asner kept the desk, um, his chair, and the wall clock from his office. And he gave those 
to a lifelong friend of his, Tom Keegan, who uh, lives in Wamego, Kansas. And Asner and Keegan went way back. Um, they, they go back to the 1930s when uh, Keegan worked in a grocery store that was owned by Asner's uncle. So when Asner was a young man, he knew Keegan and um, you know, they, they kept up this association and friendship over the years. So he uh, gave these items, the desk and the wall clock and the, and the chair, to Tom Keegan. And Mr. Keegan displayed these items in his real estate office in Wamego for a number of years. But he always thought, you know, they were more important than, than to uh, be, just be kept by him. So he contacted the museum and ask if we would be interested in having these because Asner's a Kansan. And we thought, well, sure, that makes sense to us and cool story and, and neat artifacts. But his caveat or his requirement when Mr. Keegan contacted us was, I'd like to give these to you, but I would really like to have Ed Asner here when we do it. So we said, well, that's, you know, fine with us. We, we can wait until mm -hmm. we can get things organized. So we had to wait a while, but Finally, Asner uh, could work a trip into a uh, trip to Topeka into his schedule. I think he was speaking at the uh, State Bar Association for Kansas that year. So they said, you know, let's um, you know come up and, and give us the desk. So when he finally did show up, mm -hmm. uh, when when was that? And um, I guess there was quite a crowd that day. Yes. Yes. And, and you were there? Yes, I was here. and it was. So I'm sure you have some stories. Oh, yeah, I got great stories. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, June 8th of 1991. Not that I've burned it into my <laughs> memory or anything, but yeah, it was a Saturday. And uh, we uh, sent out a press release that, you know, we, we had this um, desk that we were going to put on exhibit. And we did put it on a exhi uh, temporary exhibit in the lobby. So it was on a little platform out in the lobby with the chair and the wall clock. And we said that, you know, Ed Asner was going to be here at 2 o'clock to officially present it to us, which was a little bit of a misnomer, a little bit of a publicity thing there, because actually the donation is from Tom Keegan, right. <laughs> but, but you know, As Asner was here to present it to us, I guess, in spirit. Well, anyway, uh, they said they'd be here around 2 o'clock. Well, they were running a little bit late because he and Keegan and um, some other folks went to lunch first, and they got delayed there telling stories and all that, but everybody was pretty patient. Well, we thought, just so he wouldn't get stuck trying to come in through a crowd of people in the lobby or out in the parking lot, we gave him directions to come around to the back door, and I said I would meet them there. So I was all nervous because it's like, wow, it's Ed Asner. <laughs> so I waited in the back hallway, and um, I, I still remember you know, seeing them coming up the walk, and I opened the back door, and we had for some reason like an infestation outside the back door of Miller moths uh -huh. and all those moths flying around. So I remember him kind of, you know, coming in through this cloud of moths uh, flying everywhere. But he came in and I, you know, introduced myself and uh, he was with Tom Keegan and we came up the back hallway and uh, so I was just kind of explaining the museum to him and I explained that we had a, a pretty good crowd of folks out front. And he said, great, that's, that's fine. So we came up the back hallway and came into the lobby and, you know, immediately everybody breaks into applause and flash bulbs are going off. And it was kind of like being on the red carpet, except <laughs> we didn't think to put a red carpet out. Uh, so I stepped up to the podium and uh, introduced him. And Ed Asner got up and just charmed the crowd. I mean, first I'll say he was the nicest guy, uh, which is always nice when you meet a celebrity. Yeah. And they're not a jerk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's a very nice gentleman. And he gave this great uh, talk uh, to, the, to the crowd that was assembled. He said at the time um, that, you know, I wouldn't be the actor I am today if I hadn't come from Kansas which is a perfect thing to say. Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, we could have scripted that for him. We didn't. But he said, yeah, I wouldn't be the actor I am today if I hadn't come from Kansas. So uh, it was a very nice afternoon, and 
he agreed to sign a few autographs, which was nice. So we got him a chair, got him a nice armchair and set it next to the podium next to his desk. <laughs> Not at his desk because it's an artifact. But um, And one of my favorite memories from it was there was a group of Girl Scouts visiting. Well, this was 1991, and the Lou Grant show had been off the air. Mary Tyler Moore had been off the air. You know, he didn't have DVDs. He didn't have Hulu. didn't have Internet. So there are all these little Girl Scouts there that were there to tour, and they had no idea who this guy was, except he's somebody famous. <laughs> so they went over to our information desk, and um, the, the gentleman who was working that day um, tore off pieces of legal sheets and tore them into strips. So you had all these little girls in their Girl Scout uniforms lined up with slips of legal pad <laughs> waiting to get this art, getting this autograph to this guy. They really weren't quite sure who he was. But, you know, they said, oh, he's a famous actor. And, you know, it's okay. So all these little girls were lined up, you know, getting this autograph. And he was so nice to them because I stood by his chair to kind of help guide people through the line. And he greeted each one of them, asked him by name. And my favorite part was there were, there were a couple of TV crews here to cover it. One of the news anchors, um, sort of a Ted Baxter-ish type, <laughs> came over in the midst of while he's signing autographs for these Girl Scouts and taps him on the shoulder and says, uh, Mr. Asner, could we have you over here for a minute for a quick interview? And he turned and said, when I'm done here... <laughs> Which is great. I mean, he just blew off this TV crew, which is, you know, for all these little girls who had no idea who yeah. he was, and said, now, what's your name, honey? And signed her autograph. It was perfect. It was great. So then he went over and did his TV interview, and then I got to take him through the gallery, take him on a tour. So he uh, was here he, for quite a he while. He wanted to see the museum. He spent a couple of hours here, and cool. we showed him all over. He was very interested, asked a lot of great questions. So, yeah, I was a little starstruck. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but it was it was pretty cool. So that was, yeah, back in June of, of 91. Cool. So, Sounds like a fun day. Yeah, it was. Okay, so now for the last question. Sure. Um, a lot of famous actors touched this desk while on the set. <laughs> yeah. Um, they leaned on it, tapped on it, maybe sat on it. Uh, which of those actors would you like to meet and why? Oh, okay. Well, interestingly, um, the Mary Tyler Moore show really didn't rely heavily on a lot of name, guest stars. You know, now you see a lot of sitcoms that have celebrities appear as themselves, and they come up with some machination to get, you know, the characters on the show to interact with, you know, whoever the celebrity of the week is. Mm -hmm. I think, well, Mary Tyler Moore didn't really do that, and they really didn't plug a lot of real name actors into even character roles. But... There's a couple that I would would love to have to meet. Uh, in the very first season, there was an episode where Lou Grant um, gets fired by the station owner, and Mary has to go to the station owner and plead for Lou's job, get his job back, even though Lou's been kind of a jerk about the whole thing. And the station owner was played by Slim Pickens, and I love Slim Pickens. He's a great character actor. Uh, he was you know Major Kong, Major King Kong in Doctor <laughs> Strange Love, and he was Taggart. Um, you know, Hedley Lamar's henchman in uh, Blazing Saddles, oh. and just a great character actor. I would love to meet Slim Pickens. And then my second, I, I kind of had to choose between two because I really like Slim Pickens. But there was an episode later in the in the run, I think about midway through the the show's run, where one of the guys who was interested in Mary, uh, who she was dating, was played by Burt Convy. And I know a lot of our listeners and probably a lot of our younger listeners are thinking, Bert who? <laughs> or maybe thinking, Bert Combi, didn't he used to do game shows years ago? <laughs> but the reason I'm interested in Bert Combi is he was the original Perchick in the original Broadway cast of Fiddler on the Roof with Zero Mostel. And everybody thinks of Bert Combi as just being this kind of convivial game show host. He was the original Cliff Bradshaw 
in the original Broadway production of Cabaret, opposite Liza Minnelli. Oh. So I think Burke Combi would just have great. I'm a Broadway yeah. nut. I, I love Broadway. Uh, so, you know, being able to sit down with Burt Comby. Unfortunately, uh, both Mr. Pickens and Mr. Comby are no longer with us, but I can dream. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, hmm. But I could ask you the same thing. Who, who would you well, like to meet, you think? I have to admit, I've never seen the Mary Tyler Moore show. <sighs> Philistine. <sighs> I know. Um, but I did uh, do some research. I went to IMDb to see who was on the cast. All right. <laughs> and I believe Betty White was on the, in the yes, cast. Yes, she was. She played uh, Sue Ellen. Yes. And I don't know who that is, but <laughs> I don't know what her character was on well, the Well, okay, show, she but... was one of those man-hungry single women. She, oh, was, okay. she was always after Lou, but Lou had absolutely no interest in Sue Ellen. Oh, okay. she, was, she played the happy homemaker. That kind of makes sense. On, on the show. She had a cooking show on WJM. Oh, so. Nice. so because I grew up in the 80s mm-hmm. watching the Golden Girls, Ah, sure. I would like to meet Betty White. Plus, she was married to a game show host, wasn't she? Yes, she was married to um, Password. Um, yeah, I can't remember his name. Yeah. But I've always liked her. You can tell we didn't script this. I, I yeah. Should have <laughs> yeah, the guy that hosted Password and, oh. Okay, I'll turn in my trivia cap now. But yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, that, that would be neat. So, so, so yep. there you go. So, uh, yeah, uh, if people are interested in seeing this kind of uh, beat-up-looking desk, go to our website, Cool Things, and yes. just... Look up the Ed Asner or Lou Grant desk. It will be there. Yep. Well, thank you, Bob. Sure. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today are Bob Kekison. Hello. And Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. Today we connect White to Labor Day, a holiday we just celebrated here at the Historical Society by not working. Yay! That makes sense. <laughs> Does it seem odd to anyone else that we don't work on a holiday with labor in the title? No. Maybe a little. <laughs> um, Bob, why don't you kick things off by telling us a little, ba- little bit about Labor Day? Okay, well, I think like a lot of holidays and, and commemorative days in the United States, there's no unanimity on the origins of Labor Day. You know, somebody's going to claim it. Somebody's no, it was this, no, it was that. But some say that in 1882, Peter McGuire, who was general secretary of the Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners in New York, was the first to suggest a day in honor of those, as he put it, who from rude nature have delved and carved all the grandeur we behold. Oh. That's how they talked in the 1880s. You know, that was, that's pretty, pretty grand stuff. Well, McGuire was said to have seen a labor festival in Toronto, Canada, and they, they were commemorizing the first legalized uh, uh, protected union activity in Canada, and he was a union activist in New York, so he thought, well, that's pretty cool, so he brought the idea to New York. So I guess you could say, um, if you go with that theory, we stole Labor Day from, from Canada. Blame Canada. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but some others credit Matthew McGuire, and I don't think they're any relation because their names are spelled differently, Peter McGuire and Matthew McGuire, but... Matthew McGuire was also in New York, but he was uh, the secretary of the Central Labor Union in New York, and some say he's the one that came up with Labor Day, but whichever McGuire you choose, (laughs) it's pretty clear 1882 in New York seems to be about the first day dedicated to the social and economic achievements of the American worker, and so it was basically kind of a New York thing, and then other states picked up on it to honor their laborers, and finally Congress, you know, never missing an opportunity to step up and doing something symbolic, uh, made Labor Day a national holiday in 1894. 
So although, as you said, it seems somewhat of an oxymoron, most of us celebrate the social and economic achievements of the American worker by taking the day off. <laughs> and although it used to be seen as a day to commemorate contributions that workers have made, uh, I think if you ask most people right now about Labor Day, they'd say, oh, well, it's the end of summer. Yeah. <laughs> back to school, start a football season, yes. that kind of fun stuff. So we've, we've made it secular and about ourselves. Yes. <laughs> true American tradition. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Um, Michaela, I believe you have a solution connecting Labor Day to William Allen White. Of course. Okay, as Bob mentioned, Labor Day became a federal holiday in 1894, and that was due in large part, um, it was a reaction to the Pullman strike, which happened that same year. The Pullman strike was a boycott by the workers who built the Pullman train cars, and they went on strike when their wages were cut by 28%. Oh, wow. So if you think you've got it bad now, just be glad you weren't working for Pullman in 1894. Uh, one of the participants in the strike was a man named Eugene V. Debs. And after the strike, Debs was found guilty of violating the federal injunction, which stated the strikers obstructed the U.S. mail by refusing to work. So the trains and cars couldn't go out, yeah. mail couldn't mail be, delivered. be delivered. Right. Okay. So Debs was represented by Clarence Darrow, and Darrow started out as a corporate lawyer for the rail company, but he switched sides to represent Debs. Um, and we know Clarence Darrow, but he went on to argue cases like the Scopes trial, and he defended Leopold and Loeb, the two murders in Chicago. Um, and as we know from previous podcasts, William Allen White met Darrow in Chicago in 1897, and then Darrow visited White at his cabin in Estes Park in 1914. And strangely enough, Debs also ran for president in 1912 on the socialist ticket, and that election was chock full of people who White knew, including uh, Wilson, Roosevelt, and Taft. So oh, there's heaps of connections between White and Labor Day, even though I don't think he was probably a big supporter of the union and wouldn't have been a big fan of Labor Day. <laughs> nah, probably not. But, uh, yeah, he, he did get around. He, was... he did. He was a popular guy. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Bob, would you like to issue the challenge for our next episode? Sure. Okay, next time we're going to go a little more contemporary, and we want you to connect <laughs> William Allen White to Michael Vick. And in case you don't recognize Vic's name because you either don't care about sports or you've been living under a rock lately, <laughs> he's the professional football player who recently signed with the Philadelphia Eagles after spending time in federal prison for operating a rather extensive and illegal dogfighting ring. Uh, Michael Vic really doesn't sound like White's kind of guy, but there must be some way to connect the two. I just hope dogfighting doesn't <laughs> enter into it. No one likes a person who kicks a puppy. That's all I'm no. saying. <laughs> So if you think you can connect William Allen White to a man who is not Dog's best friend, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. You